Hello there, welcome to episode 90, the big nine zero of right where you're sitting now. Just me? Don't worry, I haven't offed Mark Satir. <laughs> uh, he's, he's still he's still fine. He just Actually, he was going to do this episode today, but had to go and visit a family member. Um, but he should be back either the next episode or episode afterwards, depending on which guest suggests first, basically. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we are back. I, I, I tend to keep these intros short when it's just me at the beginning, because I don't know, I, I feel that I just waffle otherwise. I keep saying, oh, I'm waffling. But you know, I, I do feel like I waffle a little bit. But yeah, I have to keep reminding, I keep getting told off for not saying this. But yeah, if you can leave us, on you audio listeners, if you can lead us, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening to us there, or I don't know, or give us a rating on Spotify. That apparently that is very helpful to us. And uh, yeah, um, if you could do that, that would be very good. And also, don't forget to subscribe to us and follow us on at Sitting Now everywhere. So just at Sitting Now, S I W T I N G N O W. Pretty sure you got what I was saying anyway. But anyway, this week we are talking to an amazing guest. Actually, when I um, I, re- I thoroughly enjoyed this interview with uh, Fred Anderson. Fred Anderson is. I describe him, and I, I stick by it, I describe him as a kind of Swedish John Keel. <laughs> um, he covers kind of high strange, stories of high strangeness um, in Sweden. And it's kind of interesting because you don't really, you know, I say it in the interview, but you don't really hear about other countries' cases of high um, high strangeness a lot of the time. Or if you do, it's, you know, it's you're in that country kind of thing. So for an international audience, I think it's really interesting to um, to hear these, these tales and... Uh, um, and, and Fred tells them well. Yeah, he has a new book out. We, you know, we mentioned that in the interview, but I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes and in the description on the YouTube video. But you should definitely check it out. Or you could come, of course, and check out the episode at sittingnow.co.uk, which is our website, our ghostly website, um, where we just seem to post episodes and not stories anymore. But that could be changing soon. But yeah, I hope you guys are enjoying us being back to weekly again. Um, you know, we're... Uh, we're certainly enjoying doing them weekly in fact we may even start pushing them out more than weekly uh, for a while again because we got a lot of feedback that people enjoyed getting two episodes a week and we've got plenty of guests lined up so we can we can easily do that and we've got a few returning guests that we're working on as well but uh some some favorites <laughs> if the downloads are anything to go by we can, we we know which guests you like the most but yeah let's uh let's move over to um fred because he's it's a great interview um he's a really really interesting and likable guy and you know i can't wait to have him back on as per normal when it's me just me rather on the show i don't bother doing an outro for the audio version because i kind of cover it all in the intro so there's no real point but um so i really hope you enjoy this episode and uh enjoy fred's fred and i's conversation and uh let's go and cut over to that now and i'll see you guys next week Fred Anderson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Could you give us a brief biography of yourself, please? Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Fred. I'm a Swedish researcher and author and television freelancer uh, who's been active in, in television for close to 20 years now. And the last couple of years, mainly focused on research 
on the par paranormal subject, basically. Mm -hmm. And I recently published a book in the United States called Northern Lights, High Strangeness in Sweden. So, yeah, that's kind of a very compressed version of me, I'd say. I'm looking at my notes here, and the first note I have is fabulous moustache. And you do have a yeah. very good moustache, Sarah. I have to... <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's, it's a... It's a I don't see many of the um, you know the twist up kind of ones anymore. It's uh, but it's uh, it, you've done it well. <laughs> you, put... you know, it was even longer before. I had you know like, like a real you know a couple of twirls here, uh, like a spiral. But you know, I got tired after you know day after day waking up. And you had this chaos <laughs> in the face. You had to deal with it. So it's a bit shorter now. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm. No, it's good. Uh, it's good. I'm very happy. <laughs> One thing I've noticed, um, from because I, I found out about you, um, I was just it was completely random actually. I was just browsing through Medium. I'd sort of hadn't really looked at Medium before, and um, I just typed, I can't remember what I typed in, like high strangeness, something like that, in into Medium, and I was like, oh, okay. And I found all these stories, and the thing that kind of struck me was that you know because they're all from Sweden, and you don't really hear a lot of stories from these other countries um it's always the uk the us you know the kind of superpowers or whatever that you hear from you know especially from the english speaking um sides of things but what i think is great about what you're doing is you're kind of really bringing the you're sort of almost doing like a john keel style bringing these kind of swedish stories to light sort of thing why do you but why do you think it is that it's you know um we mostly hear about you know us and UK and that kind of thing, and not places like Sweden, because there must be these sort of things happening in every country. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, from the beginning when I started with this and reading on the subject uh, as a kid, I only basically only heard about the United States specifically. Sometimes the UK, sometimes France, and but when I got them, got more involved in UFO Sverige, UFO Sverige is the the, the main UFO organization here. Uh, I started to dig in their archives and their magazines and talked with people. And I realized that there's so much more than bright dots in the sky or, you know, we have a lot of ghost stories and such. Uh, but but why? I mean, the United States and UK of, are is of course bigger and English is some kind of international language. Uh, uh, but I also think that Sweden and the Swedish people are a little bit more shy in in telling these things. You know, we kind of not we, but people have a tendency to keep it to themselves until you ask. You know, so it's it's quite tricky to get people to to talk about this, to contact UFO Sverige, or you know, you you really have to, you know, talk with them. You have you need you need to sit down. You know, and and. As talk about other things basically until until it comes out these these stories. Uh, so I think it's maybe it's just the, the the culture itself. The 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 people, you know, they always say that Sweden is very secular. You know, it's a rational country. It's quite straightforward and everything like that. And yeah, that might be true to to a part at least. But, you know, if you go outside the, the big cities, you'll find tons of stories very much rooted in folklore. And you you hear about critters and elves and gnomes and, yeah, even UFOs because there's a lot of it. But I have, okay, I have no real good explanation 
why we don't hear you know more about Sweden or other countries, non-English speaking countries. Uh, but yeah, there, there there is a lot of stuff to dig into for sure. Yeah, it's um, I think. Do you think a lot of it might be because people are kind of embarrassed about you know you're saying about people not talking about the stories like do you think it might be like people are embarrassed that people are going to mock them in you know publicly or um yeah absolutely i, I mean i've been I've, I've been talking to hundreds of witnesses the last years uh both both when it comes to ghosts and and ufos and many are very very afraid to be mocked they're there, there is, especially with the UFOs and high strangeness, this weirder stuff, there is this stigma surrounding it. Uh, it's kind of starting to get better, actually, uh, the, the last five to you know, five, six years. I, I noticed a slight change. But it's, I don't think people want to admit that they're, they've gone beyond the consensus, you know, reality or ra ra rational thinking. You know, they, 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 they. It's it, it, many people feel silly, kinda. You know, to admit it. It's like they're they're being naked for the first time about their uh, about their experience, uh, and I think that's very very common, definitely. And it's, it's also this thing that I, I think is pretty accurate for Swedish people that when something has happened to them, they, you know, they don't, you know, they feel like, uh, no, you know, it's, it's some kind of, they don't want to be special or seem special or seem unique. They want to keep a quite low profile because uh, we have something called Jantelagen in Sweden. It's just a symbolic thing that you, you, you shouldn't, believe that you're someone you know you 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 don't don't raise your voice too high don't let yourself be, be seen too much there's, there's a similar thing in denmark actually isn't there um i think it's it might even be the same i don't yeah. think it's the same word but it's i remember i was watching a documentary about nicholas winding refin the director <laughs> and his wife said exactly that same thing she said that yeah there's yeah. this kind of culture there where you don't raise yourself kind of above everybody else and yeah and it's and that had a similar name i think but uh yeah it's interesting so have you had your own kind of um encounters or experiences with um anything <laughs> yeah i i mean i i often say when i get this question i i, I always say no 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 i, I haven't experienced anything at all but then i start thinking and yeah there's like four or five things i've experienced most of them uh, i'd say has to do with ghosts and i'm a honestly i'm a bit skeptical about ghosts as spirits or you know dead relatives or something but it, there is something out there absolutely uh i mean once while shooting a paranormal show i saw in broad daylight uh, a black solid you know, shadow person, basically, you know, very, very solid. You could see the head and shoulders and everything. It was, it, 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 it was a great experience. I wasn't, it wasn't scary or anything, but finally I saw what other people saw, what they told me about. Uh, and some years ago we had, we were out barbecuing, you know, near a field out in the forest, you know, just by the edge of the field. And we were like four people and out on the field, this was late at night, we see a big bright circle of light in the field. 
You didn't see any beam or anything like that. It was just a, a big circle of light uh, in the field. And the odd thing that we were a bit, you know, perplexed, what, what is this? But no one took photos of it. No one, you know, I have photos from the evening, but all photos are, you know, just cropped so you don't see the, the circle area. But, you know, it's so typical. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous because I always tell people, take photos, do whatever, you know, something. Uh, so I, I had a couple of those experiences and I had... Uh, I mean, my life is sometimes uh, an orgy of synchronicities. Of course, it's it's like, come on, it's 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 absurd sometimes. And I had, I had twice. I something I would say like uh, um, premonitions in dreams. Um, uh, some you know that I, I, I dreamt during night that the thing I would do the next day would be cancelled and often I wake up and I check my phone and there's a message saying no it's cancelled we, we won't do it and we're talking big things like cancelling shows uh, cancelling TV series or you know these big things so that's kind of my I don't have those big amazing experiences I, uh, but I, I would love to have yeah, I'm sort of similar. I've had some weird experiences. They're not really. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken about them on the show, but uh, but anyway, but I, I won't go into them now. But I, I had some experiences where, at first glance, I, was, I thought, oh, it's because there's one instance where I hit my head and then saw something, and then another instance where I observed something happening. And then, um, but it's one of those things where, when I look back at it, I was like, actually, hang on, <laughs> that, that was a bit strange. That was uh, that was a bit. Um, <laughs> So who are your it's, kind of... it's all this thing that yeah sorry no no go on go on go on no no it, it's I, I find it so odd this thing that the reaction often comes afterwards uh, at least in in my case it seems a little bit in your case you know like you see something you feel something and then hours later days later or years after it's like what what was that and it's I, I find it. Probably because these experiences are so out of the ordinary, it's something so unusual that maybe you have a hard time processing it or difficult time to process it. Um, I, I don't know why, really, why it's like that. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Um, maybe it's, yeah, it's like maybe you have to process it through some kind of filter in your mind and then it kind of, then you have this kind of realization. It, it is strange. Who who would you say your influences are in terms of research and things like that? I, I mentioned John Keel earlier on because I was kind of struck a little bit. It felt quite Keelish at times your um, style, yeah. but, but I, I I must admit that Keel is a, is a huge inspiration inspiration to me. Uh, I mean, I read all this stuff, at least the books, and it's when I whenever I dive into a Keel book because I often reread them, I. I I get the sense that I'm entering some kind of adventure, some kind of high strangeness adventure. It's like gonzo journalism sometimes, especially Mothman prophecies, of course. But yeah. all his books are like he's he's in it, he's exploring it, he's speculating. Sometimes it's insane, sometimes it's you know right on the spot. So Kiel, absolutely. Jacques Vallée, definitely uh, love the guy. Uh, 
Then in Sweden, we have, we have two people I really look up to and I, I count them as friends nowadays. One of them is Klaus Svahn, who's the, the what do you say, he's, he's the, the, the leader of the board, what do you say in English, the board member of UFO Sverige, but he's the chairman, chairman, yeah. Uh, and he's a, a great journalist and writer. He's quite rational. He's kind of the opposite of me because I can be quite wild, to be honest. But Klaus kind of keeps me down a little bit. And then you have Håkan Blomqvist, who's Sweden's, and maybe the, one of the world's best experts on the esoteric part of ufology, contactee persons and, and UFO religions and uh, the spiritual part, spiritism, everything like that. Uh, amazing people and great, great uh, uh, writing. He's published a couple of books and they have a good blog in English with super interesting uh, texts. I've done a couple. I mean, I'm always, especially one of the questions I had here was, um, uh, we, there seems to be a kind of rising interest in kind of this crossover between the occult and the paranormal at the moment. Um, whereas the occult has always tried to kind of distance itself in the past from, you know, uh, any kind of paranormal or, you know, UFO kind of stuff. It's like, no, 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 we're, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost like a science, you know, we can't, we can't possibly be seen. Whereas now I'm starting to see that it's bleeding into each other again in terms of, you know, you have people like Alan Greenfield writing, um, yeah. Like, yeah, secret cipher of the euphonauts that kind of thing where it's kind of it is that kind of crossover point between the occult and the paranormal mm -hmm. and have you have you encountered much of that in sweden as well is there or you know generally in your research have you seen this kind of crossover happening well i i, I think most most of the cases i've researched have a strong occult vibe or you know esoteric vibe that there is something else than a physical object or a physical uh, humanoid or creature uh, showing up um Sverige, where i'm very involved uh, has a very rational way where neither debunkers or or you know true believers we are kind of in the middle middle road there and trying to see every part, the whole spectra of the phenomenon. So in our discussions, it's, it's very easy to talk about the, the, the non-material aspects of a UFO encounter and, uh, um, you know, and, and such things. And I think that has grown larger, you know, bigger at least. If you look back at the 70s and maybe early 80s in Sweden, it was very much you know, physical ETs landing in the backyards of innocent farmers. While after that, uh, uh, it kind of had been more, more, more blur between the lines. And I personally, I mean, I, I probably, when I was younger, was more into the ET hypothesis, you know, to, you know, they're coming from space and landing. But the more I've read, the more people I talk with, I have a, I, to be honest, I have a really hard time believing that there would be physical, you know, physical crafts landing here. You know, there, there is something else. I think it's, I mean, I think it's deeply connected to us humans uh, and our way of thinking, our perception of, of everything, of course, affected by the culture and everything around us. 
so I think it's it's slowly starting to change, but we try to keep a quite new, n- neutral uh, path, at least in, in inside the organization. But privately, when you talk to people, there's uh, more space for discussions and, and theories. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's um, I wonder. I mean, the, another thing that seems to be quite popular at the moment is the C five meditation um, uh, UFO. Th- I, I I don't know very much about it. I've only recently actually. I know it's been around for ages, but I, I've kind of only recently started to look into it. Have you had any experiences with the C five? thing and could you explain no, what it actually is i don't actually know really that much about it <laughs> you kind of go out I, I i haven't done it myself but you kind of go out together with people you trust and you sit in a circle and you basically meditate you you're focus focusing your your consciousness or whatever to whatever is up there and see if five has actually recently maybe the last two years uh started to grow here in sweden with C five groups uh, and and people who are very very interested in this, though I mean I, I must be honest I'm 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 quite skeptical about Stephen Greer I am like many other people but I I'm attracted to the idea uh, that he you know to be fair had made very you know popular over the years uh, this this way of communicating with some kind of intelligence whatever that intelligence is. Um, but you know, I've, I've, I mean, I've been outside many nights in the, during the summer, uh, and sitting there and looking up at the night sky, the, the stars and just kind of hoping to see something. And sometimes you, you see something, you see a strange light or maybe sometimes it's just satellites or whatever, but sometimes there has been these flashes of light which I know they describe a lot within CE5, which I find you know very fascinating. Maybe it's a natural thing, or maybe it's something manifested by my own wishes and thoughts. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, so I'm not even if my 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 I'm not belonging the Greer fan club. I I, I like the idea, and I, I hope that one day I can try it out with people I. I trust and, 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 and you know, uh, I, th- I think there's something in it, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it seems at the moment, do you think, I mean, obviously the, the thing to kind of bring up with you, we haven't actually mentioned it on the show really yet, is the, um, you know, the hearing recently in, in the United States. Um, how's, mm-hmm. how have you been following that? I assume you have been following that. And uh, Yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, I mean, my interest is high strangeness, the weird stuff, but I need to keep an, my ears and eyes open for what's happening over the, this whole Grush affair and, you know, the, you know, the Ryan Graves and David Fravor recently, they were sitting and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, someone used a made up word, all words are made up, of course, uh, skeptimistic, he called it, he's skeptimistic. I'm I'm skeptical because I still feel this is something that has happened before. You have a whistleblower uh, with uh, you know relaying information that might be planted for one reason or another. But then again, it also triggers my imagination because it's such a huge thing within within this field within this. It's so it's kind of bizarre, you know, in this day and age that someone goes out and say that hey, we have bodies, we have crafts, everything. 
um, I I don't know what what do you think about yeah this? I'm kind I'm of curious. the same it's like it's just words again until we see something it's just yeah, yeah it's it's um, you know it's just a guy saying stuff it's kind of the way yeah. I sort of see it. you know until I see yeah. until I see the craft it's like I'm still I'm not even particularly skeptical but when it comes to we've just had this so many times with whistleblowers and you know we had we've had some crazy ones in the past like what was the um is it El Duce or El, I can never pronounce it the American we did a show on it I forgot what it's called El Duce is it or El no El Dolce is that it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The mountain range. Yeah, the, yeah. The... Where there's like a secret war going on under the, you know, under yeah. the mountain, and it's like again, show me the, show me something. It's like, yeah, yeah show me something. Yeah, uh, show, show me the goods. Do you know that there's there's some photos being leaked from this base? I, I've seen quite low resolution photos mm. that people claim is from the alien base under Dulce, mm. and those photos is actually from the Stockholm subway. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's like it's, it's so it was when I saw them the first time I said, Oh, it's it's Tensta, that's a central station basically. And yes, we have very beautiful subway in, in Stockholm, but uh, you know, it's not alien. I can no, show you that. that'd be a I don't know, if that's a compliment or a uh, you know, <laughs> Stockholm looks a bit like an alien base or something, yeah, <laughs> a, a, bit, a bit strange. Um, one thing, um, in your media, I, I you know, uh, I sort of sent you a list of kind of the stuff we I wanted to talk about. But one thing it, it occurred to me as I was driving here is that you wrote about the men in black as well. And that's yes. something I find particular because they feel very much like an occult kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The more you read about them, the more bizarre and strange the stories get. And um, uh, could you talk a little bit about kind of some cases in Sweden of the men in black? And did, you had some kind of encounter as well, didn't you? Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, I mean, there's not many men in black cases in Sweden. The the, the cases that exist are kind of vague. You know, it kind of it could be just weird people or or misunderstanding, or it could be men in black. Of course, uh, I, I'd say that the most famous one in 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 in, in Swedish UFO history is the one that Bevan. Bevan Torvaldsen experienced in at the beginning of the 70s. He's, he later became the, the, the chairman of UFO Sverige. And he had a UFO sighting and he talked about it in the newspaper. This was early, early 70s. And the day after, uh, the, day after the article was published, uh, uh, a man came knocking on his door. Uh, and this was far out in the countryside in Sweden. And Remember, in Sweden in the early 70s, you rarely saw foreigners, you know, people who, you know, everyone was, you know, blonde, basically. So, so suddenly there's a guy knocking on his door who have a slight uh, Asian look, you know, uh, and a, a bit, you know, pale complexion, skin complexion. And he talks weird and he kind of feels curious and... But the only thing he do is that he asks for wh which direction to go. And there's like just one road outside the house and he came from one side. So Bevan, you know, pointed <laughs> the opposite direction. And the guy walked out on the road and disappeared. I mean, he was gone in seconds, basically. For Bevan, this was something truly remarkable, something that stood out from his little, you know, country countryside life. It might not sound so spectacular here, but it it's one of those things that really set off his 
whole interest. It was something that stood out so much for him. Um, uh, later, no, yeah, maybe like one or two years later, Jan Ove Sundberg, who was a Swedish ufologist and cryptozoologist, claimed that he had experienced men in black who were terrorizing him. He had a UFO encounter at Loch Ness. Uh, he was out there researching the, the monster Nessie and suddenly he encountered a, a flying saucer standing there in a meadow with some humanoids outside. And he, he, he of course, it was a big shock and he went home and afterwards he, he saw and felt and heard uh, uh, strange men dressed in black in his garden. They were uh, calling him, they were terrorizing him, basically. Uh, with Jan Uwe, it's important to say that for some people, many people who, who knew him consider him completely bonkers, insane also. He had a, there was part of his stories that were really interesting, but he had a tendency to exaggerate things enormously you know so he wrote a whole book about usos you know underwater ufos in 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 sweden because we had this big submarine uh, craze submarine flap in the 80s and he wanted to connect these to submarines uh, sorry ufos and there he started to collect weird meetings weird encounters with frogmen with divers so it's kind of some kind of underwater <laughs> men in black that came up on land and they asked really weird questions. They could stand on the shoreline or just a few meters from the shoreline and ask where the water is, for example, or what time cycle they were, were in. And they always had this, this kind of paler complexion in the skin, uh, uh, sometimes an overly generic Swedish uh, accent. You know, it's, it's not even tradition. It's just too perfect, like they've been practice, practicing it, you know, uh, in, in some way. So he collected, like, I think, like almost 20 of these encounters during the 80s. Uh, some of them, if you can trust him, are quite weird. You know, there were some weird guys in diving suits coming up talking with dog owners and and uh, people who had parked their cars to to look at the sea um, they're interesting i'd say my favorite and maybe the 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 really only true man in black story i know about is uh is the one about Ante Johansson. Ante uh, Johansson. Ante Johansson was a contactee. He had an amazing experience in 1984 where he got attacked by, by hooded dwarfs that came out from a black UFO. Uh, there's actually one collaborating witness to this also, which makes it even more interesting. So he, he had many, many years of contacts with these space beings from planet Prio. And when he passed away, he lived at a, at a retirement home. Uh, so when his family was coming to get his stuff, his thousands of pages of notes from his space adventures, the staff at the retirement home tells, tells them that two men in black suits had already been there and took all the space stuff and it disappeared, uh, which is it's quite weird. It's 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 an odd detail. Um, uh, 
Some of these papers have shown up in all places after this, but most of it kind of disappeared. Uh, it's kind of a fitting end for Ante because he had this, this lifetime of experience and men in black came and stole his stuff at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had your own kind of experience, didn't you, as well, which is, um, yeah. Good. Yeah, I can. I whenever I tell this story, it's it kind of feels like hmm, you know. But but when I experienced it, it was super weird because I, I at the time I was researching Swedish men in black uh, stories. I was communicating with other researchers to see if they had something. Uh, and one day when I was when I was walking home in the middle of this, I passed a man. Uh, and I could sense, you know, that he, he stopped behind me, you know, and I turned around a little bit and I noticed that he had turned completely around and he was looking at me and he was kind of standing, you know, like a lifeless, just standing with his arms down. Uh, and then he started to walk after me and I was like, okay, okay, I will, you know, I, I walked home. I stopped in a park to turn around. And he was like 20 meters behind me, just standing still once again. He wasn't even walking. He was just standing there. It was like, <laughs> so I, I go home, do some other stuff, uh, kind of forgets about it. A few hours later, I can, I, I, first of all, I see the cats reacting to something out in the hallway. You know, they're like curious. So I go and I see the door handle moving slowly. Oh, that's like horror yeah. movie stuff. <laughs> I, you know, and, and, and I looked out the, what you saw, the, 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 the hole in the door. I don't remember the, the English language name for it. But I, I looked out and I saw this man standing, you know, this close to the door. And he was still moving the handle. And I, I opened the door, very brave of me, and asked, so are you, are you looking for someone? And he only said, Luam. And I said, Luam? I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, Luam. And I said, no, there's, I, I figured out maybe it's a name or something. So I, I said, no, there's no Luam here. So I closed the door. And he stood there for an hour more, directly outside the door. And I opened again, and he said, Luam. And soon he left, and then he started to turn up at our doorstep uh, in the middle of the night. He tried to get inside the, <laughs> the apartment, and he always talked about Luam. One night, I found him outside the balcony. I was, at the time, I was smoking, so I was standing in the balcony, and I kind of looked out, you know, looked over the, the, the edge, and I could see him in the darkness down there, his white eyes. Oh, that's <laughs> what freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, it's, and, and uh, yeah, so that maybe went on for a month. It, after a while, it was like normal. I came home from work and he was standing outside the door. And after a while, I just decided, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to react to this. And then he disappeared. Uh, so, of course, it was... I was researching Men in Black, so I made this this connection, uh, and then I started to get paranoid. I I, I did Luam in the secret cipher, the uh, Alan Greenfield, and and um, it was just words like uh, lurking and shadows and you know <laughs> those eerie words, 
Uh, and then I realized that Luam is just a different spelling of Lam. Of course, the, the gray entity that Elster Crowley communicated with once. You know, you, you, you see the, the, the paranoia, the conspiracy <laughs> thoughts. It could have been it could have been like an egregore or a tulpa or some you know yeah. some, some sort of thought form. Did, yeah. you, did you ever see the guy again? Or I, I he I I think I saw him uh, a bit later walking into another door in some other house nearby. But I haven't seen him since. You know, oh. I have no idea. Maybe like you said, he was an egregore, or maybe he had you know some problems of some kind, and just you know. But here again, I, I think I, I've written an article about it or mentioned it. I have this idea that the phenomenon can take proxies, human proxies or alien proxies. So you can say that Men in Black or, or this guy, in a way, is a part of, of the phenomenon. It, it wants to be seen, so it kind of takes whatever it has around to show itself, mm. uh, which makes everything even stranger. I did. <laughs> Did, sorry, you made me talk here. I feel I'm talking so much. Oh, no, no, uh, no. That's what you're here for. <laughs> Got you here to talk. I, I, I had a number of years ago, I, I did mushrooms, uh, which is highly illegal in Sweden. And England. You hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't stop and, us from uh, doing them, though, does it? <laughs> no, I've never done it. It's a long time. Uh, <laughs> and it was a very nice trip. It wasn't that strong, but uh, I was, of course, out in nature and I, I encountered a, a wooden bridge over a little stream. And on that stream, uh, on that bridge, stood a very short, chubby man with gigantic pants and bul bul bulging eyes, you know. And he stand there, we stood there with a fishing rod and he was looking at me when I was passing him. So, okay, a weird guy uh, I saw on mushrooms. The next time I took mushrooms, he showed up again, this time hiding behind uh, some kind of electrical thing uh, in, in, in the center of my town. He was just standing there looking at me. And the third time I encountered him inside a store and he was looking at me again, also with some kind of substance in me. Uh, he... I'm sure he was a real person. He just looked odd. But it, it, for me, it was odd that he showed himself that we met every time I did psychedelics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like a gnome or something, you know. <laughs> I was struck by something when you were talking about one of the cases earlier. You said about this guy that kind of took a story and sort of took it a bit too far almost. Like, um, and I was struck when you said that even with Keel, that kind of happened, didn't it? With... Uh, What's his name? Is it Woodrow Guffrey? Is that the guy that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the injured cold? Derenberger. Derenberger. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not Guffrey. I'm sure that's. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's somebody else completely. But anyway, but yeah. And I think I think Kiel said that with the injured cold story, he believed the initial story. You know, the um, and then um, I've forgotten his name again already. Is it Derenberger? He he um, yeah yeah he um. He then put a book out, didn't he? And it, it kind of really, it's a bit, have you read it? I don't know if you've read it, but it's. Uh, uh, I actually never read it, but uh, I, I know the story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of very, it's, there's all these people called like Carl and <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. they all have very yeah. English sounding names and like the planet sounds very, you know, suspiciously like our own planet, um, but a bit weirder. And then his daughter, 
eventually wrote a book called Beyond Lanulus, because um, yes. Lanulus being the planet that the injured cold's apparently from. And I read that recently, and I, <laughs> it feels like. Do you know? Have you spotted this as well? That often, you, you if you if you look at the kind of base story, that it that feels like the most credible, the initial story, and then you read these mm -hmm. kind of um, kind of elaborations on that story and they suddenly become a little bit less believable but do you uh, is that something you spotted as well or oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah sure i'm i mean uh, with the book i wrote for example i went back to the original reports the original witness uh, testimonies and they're they have like the i mean the, the basis of them are kind of similar but in many cases when you start reading other books and other articles and new interviews suddenly there's there's a much larger story, you know, coming from them, uh, added and, and retracted stuff. But, you know, I like that, you know, I, as long as you're aware of it. But I love how the mythology grows uh, around these things. And now we're going woo-woo because I feel that by this mythology growing, it kind of creates its own reality you know it, it's it's it somehow becomes real you know because people are claiming stuff we can't prove it's either that or, or this but they're claiming it and suddenly it's part of the mythology is part of their lives and then other people start to experience stuff connected to the new mythology i i i find that so intriguing i i, I love when that happens yeah it's uh, like it's almost but, like people are willing things into existence almost is the, yeah, the classic yes. example of that was the slender man um, incident wasn't yeah. it where you have this kind of giant internet thought form that suddenly seems to have become corporeal and you know uh, people can yeah. people see it all of a sudden yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's, a, it's an excellent example. Have you ever seen the documentary A Self-Induced Hallucination? It's very, very hard to get nowadays. Um, it's made by one Jane Schoenbraun, I think. And it's, it's only edited from YouTube videos, basically. So she took material from others and she kind of tells the story of Slenderman through people who have experienced him or or talks about it it's an amazing deep dive into exactly this the the thought manifestations the egregores whatever you want to call it uh but it's absolutely impossible to find i've seen it once and you know it's gone so probably because of you know copyright issues nowadays if you ever find it grab it yeah <laughs> the bane of youtube that is but yeah the copyright strike yeah no a friend yeah. of mine um a good friend of ours um joseph maffini who we've had on the show before as well um created a alternate reality the, the original alternate reality game called ong's ong's hat i don't know if you've ever heard of that before yeah yes, i've heard yeah yeah and he, he's he's he found that as the game was moving along and as it, as the mythology was building people um sort of really really it sort of took hold of them and and it got to a point where he actually had to end the game because it was becoming so um you know so sort of taking over his life a bit and becoming quite almost problematic and even when he oh, yeah. even when he sort of you know confessed to it it was you know this was all a, an experiment and mythology or um people just won't let it go and it's still to this day people will not let that go they believe it is real and they start to oh, find yeah. and they find evidence of the, that this thing's real and it's but it's it, joe made it up and it's it's so strange isn't it <laughs> it's, yeah, it's super strange I, I, this reminds me, I think it's in Cosmic Trigger where Robert Anson Wilson writes about this because, 
you know, they, they wrote the Illuminatis trilogy and the, the whole Illuminati mythology and, you know, all of those things. And I think he, he mentioned somewhere that suddenly people started to call him claiming there were like Illuminati representatives from certain cities. And he's kind of have this, it's both, both a scary thought and kind of fun thought that this is happening. You know, it kind of, yeah, it, it's, it's in one way there is a, yeah, it, the mythology is manifested into our uh, reality in that way. Uh, I, I do not remember the details here, but I it just came up now when you were mentioning it. Yeah, it seems to be when you present someone with a mythology that they really invest in, it's very difficult to unentangle them from that mythology. There was a really good documentary, actually, I saw called The Institute. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Um, it's about a guy in San Francisco who created an ARG and it's very esoteric and mystical and all these people got very involved in it and at first I wasn't sure if it was uh, like a mockumentary like a you know it was like a film within a film kind of thing but it actually apparently did actually happen this kind of huge like massive ARG that happened in San Francisco and at the mm -hmm. end when they finally revealed oh look you've been playing a game people got angry they got really they were you know really yeah. emotionally invested and it sounds just like what happened with Joe's Ong's hat um, uh, yeah. it, it's so strange but yeah I mean I I guess if you've really invested a lot of time in something and you find out it's not real I, I can imagine that would be quite grating <laughs> yeah I mean, I, yeah I guess so you know uh, yeah it's, I mean I am anyway I'm I'm super fascinated just by this stuff I, I love the idea that you things like this can happen it's a disturbing thought also of course mm. but there is something uh, I mean I think there's probably many many examples regarding Bigfoot and other monsters in the United, Sp uh, United, Sp United States, especially, <laughs> where, where it started off as a hoax. Someone tried to do a, a joke with someone, got a, some kind of gorilla suit, and suddenly it's, it's real. People continue to see it. Love it. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, you mentioned Valet earlier on. Um, what is your sort of take on the kind of ultra terrestrial? Actually, could you say because we've mentioned it a couple of times on the show, but we've never sort of described what ultra terrestrial the ultra high. The hell, I'll get it right this time. The ultra terrestrial hypothesis is. As yeah. Could you could you explain it at all? Because I, oh, I think it's quite tricky to explain because yeah. I feel it's it's quite you know it's kind of an umbrella for umbrella for for different things but as i see it the ultra terrestrial it's some kind of dimensional thing they kind of they kind of live and exist either here beside us in some different form of light spectrum or whatever or they're actually traveling here at least if i if, if i get keel right uh, i mean the eight tower is a book i love for example oh, yeah, I, I'm not just what, what does he mean really but <laughs> but with with Valet uh, Valet he talks a lot about or he did talk a lot about the control system that uh, the these things uh, comes from what he calls maybe a natural control system or even some kind of uh, technological control system or, or, you know, made by some kind of intelligence or just existing that kind of uses the phenomenon to push mankind in different directions. It 
pushes our technology or experiences or 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 intellect or or whatever um i'm not sure i agree on that but i find it a very interesting uh, hypothesis absolutely especially since we all know how the phenomenon has changed over the years uh, i mean here in sweden we have so many stories about gnomes and fairies and of course even in the uk and who's very very similar to you know modern times and and the aliens and flying saucers it's just it just depends on our perception basically on on the culture around this um and i kind of lean maybe more towards that as an explanation to what's going on out there but then again that's no answer at all because i i still don't know what it is let's talk a little bit about some of your um because obviously like i said i haven't managed to get your book yet i, I have ordered it it has, just hasn't turned up yet but um mm. it, i was hoping to get it before the interview and i was going to speed read it today but um but no it didn't it didn't show up in time but i do read your medium articles and there's some fascinating stuff and one of them it was the um the flaming um kind of encounters people have with like fiery beings and that, that one really yes. that one really no pun intended inflamed my imagination but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. sorry that was a bad that was like a dad joke i'm sorry it was it wasn't meant to yeah, it's fine with dad jokes. i'm okay with that yeah but could you yeah, could you walk us through the stories because yeah. there's two specific stories and they're both they they seem to link up and there's some it, there's one of them in particular about where there's like a sort of cabinet was really interesting but uh yeah yeah absolutely both these uh incidents happened in 1978 and up in the, in, I can't say the northern parts of Sweden, but higher up than Stockholm, at least in Mörsil and Sundsvall. So it's still up north. And the first one is it was a teenage boy who was on his way home from a party, some kind of barbecue by the beach, and he decides to to take a shortcut over a cow field. And first he noticed how the cows are scared and runs away, maybe because of him, I don't know. But he continues and sees a bright, strong, flaming, sparkling light on the side of the, of the field. And he looks in that direction. And on that place, there's an old World War II bunker. Uh, so the, the, the light, basically, the, this burning light basically comes out from the opening of it. And in front of this light, he sees this, uh, in, in Swedish UFO magazines from the 70s, they call it a humanoid. I mean, it's, it's a silhouette, you know, it's a, it's a black silhouette of a tall man with a helmet with a point, uh, with a spike kind of on the top, like this World War One, you know, old German uh, uh, helmets. And, and it's, it's, it's such a strong, bright light. Of course, he, he gets scared. He uh, runs away. He meets a friend who also had seen this light from a bit further distance. And of course, they, when they come back the next day or two days later with investigators, there's absolutely no trace of any kind of flammable material or anything like that. Like a month later, a very similar event happens in Sundsvall. Once again, there's a, it's a teenage girl, I think is in her late teens, who is out jogging and she jogs into a forest and she turns around and on the way back, she sees, like you said, kind of like a cabinet, like a, you can call it portal, kind of, yeah, uh, uh, inside the forest. And inside this portal, still you have this burning bright light 
She sees a black silhouette that kind of moves sideways, seemingly out from this cabinet. And after that, she heard, she hears, you know, uh, uh, noises in the nature around. And of course, she gets scared, r- runs home, gets her mother, and they go back. And of course, there's nothing there. And they're very, very similar events in 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 that way. There's. Uh, uh, both are in the evening, both as teenagers, uh, you know, alone, uh, nature around. Uh, you have the silhouette, uh, a tall man's figure, probably. Um, I, I don't know what to make of these stories because they kind of doesn't really fit the normal UFO no, story. that's what's so fascinating about it. It's like, yeah, yeah it's not like an, it almost sounds like gin, doesn't it? It sounds like, yes, uh, yeah. yeah. And it, it, like you say, it's like normally you know, people see a figure or a, a, like a shadowy figure or a, a gray type, you know, alien or whatever. But you don't normally hear flames. That's the yeah, the, the flames and they kind of they kind of almost like in a in a in a frame. You know, they're they're framed by this opening. In in one case, it's the bunker opening, and in the second, it's it's like this etheric cabinet standing there. Uh, out out in the forest, um, yeah. My, my thought was also the gin and similar, you know, fire creatures that live within the fire or the bright lights. Uh, I mean, we had stories like this in Sweden, of course, uh, mostly connected to. Uh, once again, I don't know the English name for it, but when you make coal, you kind of you 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 burn wood, so you make coal. Uh, and and these were extremely hot fireplaces. It kind of looks like um, like a hut, basically. So with a hole at the top, and you were kind of burning the wood inside. And there was always this warning that there was these fire creatures that could take you if you weren't careful enough. You could fall into this, for example. Um, and I mean, even there's even stories about uh, some kind of spirit in the glow. Of, of the fire, uh, some kind of more nature spirit that belongs there. And I can understand that because we've all been sitting in front of uh, the glow, the afterglow uh, from a fire and look at the patterns and the, 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 the crackling sounds. And yeah, I agree. It's, it's hypnotic, basically. Mm. Uh, it's almost so, like fire itself's kind of alive, isn't it? it, it oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a living being, yeah. In, in, and it's a powerful living being. You know, it's, we had this realization several times when you're sitting there and you're out in the forest or, and you look at the fire and you realize that, you know, if, if we don't look after the fire, if we don't take care of it, this can destroy the whole area. <laughs> I mean, it's such a powerful force. And maybe that's, you know, part of the experience here. You know, it's such a primitive force of, of, of nature, of life that's happening. I haven't been able to trace these teenagers. I guess they would be around in their 60s now or something. You know, how, how it affected them, because that's something I'm very curious, uh, curious on. You know, what, what did this experience tell them? Did it change their viewpoint on, on things? Um, because, of course, that, that's what happens sometimes. But in these cases, they're so weird, you know. I don't know where to put them. Yeah, it's strange. So, did they um, in the area where they were seen these sort of fiery? Th- was there any kind of event, other events that could be linked into it, like a 
like a crash or some kind of you know like often sometimes when people see phenomena there's if you look at the kind of history or well, the news locally in that area there's some kind of indicator sometimes of something you know was there any kind of links to that or well no there, i mean the investigators at the time didn't find anything you know uh, uh then again they kind of thought it was kind of alien you know but they, they didn't find any anything that pointed at a prank or an accident or some kind of event uh, I mean, the first case with the boy, there was this idea, maybe his friends were pranking him, but they had no idea in which, which they knew the direction. But, you know, there are many different roads, there's forests, there's fields. It, it's just unlikely that they would, you know, get there faster than him and prepare this elaborate joke. Yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite an ex it's extreme joke that was. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah no, it's definitely fascinating the um the other one i'm probably gonna absolutely um butcher this name here you might have to help me is it vic bolander vic bolander <laughs> <laughs> i'm terrible with this stuff <laughs> vic bolander oh i wasn't that far off <laughs> could you tell us a bit about this insect there's actually i've got an interesting parallel with this story that i'll tell you afterwards but could you walk oh, us through this one because this one really interested me a lot yeah, this was, uh, uh, I think it was during the autumn of 73 or 74, where uh, a man was going to their summer cabin, uh, uh, yeah, in the autumn, but they already had a cabin out there in this beautiful area with wilderness and fields and, and the sea and everything, you know, archipelago. And he is there with his father, who's a little bit elderly and have a problem with his hearing. So they stopped the car at the, the, the designated place for cars uh, and they hear a loud bang, you know. <clears throat> and the guy, he runs out from the car and he's like, what, <laughs> what's going on? And he, 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 he runs towards the direction he, he thought the, 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 the loud bang was coming from, the kind of like an explosion. And he, it's like 100 meters, 200 meters. And when he comes there, there's a field. On the other side of the field, he see a group of, you can call them green humanoids with antennas on their head and big black eyes. And they kind of floating uh, above the ground. And they kind of, you know, minding their own business there. And they stop and they look at him and he's, you know, he's frightened by this. And then the, this group of, of odd creatures continues and they walk towards the forest and kind of just disappears not into the forest but just you know like they face an in and out of our reality uh, i first heard about this story through albert s rosales who who collects humanoid stories from from all over the world which is an amazing collection of so much weirdness so I decided to trace this story because I felt that, yeah, it's a cool story. It's a very interesting story, but I'd love to, to, to read the original report. And the only clue I had was the, the there was a, a kind of comic book sketch belonging to this uh, sketch or drawing uh, belonging to this story. And I felt that, yeah, this is kind of similar. It's not just a stolen image or anything. It might belong to the story itself. 
So I started to send out this uh, this uh, this drawing to everyone I know in the field. I said, "Do you recognize the artist? Do you, do you know who might have drew this?" Because no one knew about this story. No one had any kind of of memory of it. And sooner or later, someone said, "That's Richard Svensson." And Richard Svensson is a folklorist and a cryptozoologist in Sweden, and a very very good illustrator himself. So through that, I could trace the story to in which issue of UFO Aktuellt uh, it was, uh, uh, they wrote about it. And from there, I could identify kind of what year, uh, uh, kind of where, and I managed to find the original report as, as the witness, you know, originally made once upon a time. Uh, and the story itself, he told, is basically the same uh, except that uh, the, the, the humanoids, the green humanoids, seem to wear helmets with antennas on. And uh, you notice that the story itself had been a little bit more, uh, how, how do I say it, more, more commercialized, more, more, more simplified. Uh, I, I, for one, find it still very intriguing. Uh, I was reading the papers and report, and there was some speculation that he might have seen hunters in the area from in a distance. Uh, I personally believe that in the area they had military exercises during these years, so he might have seen a troop of, of, of soldiers, basically, you know, with helmets and, and, and equipment. And for some reason, saw them as green humanoids, you know, like classic green men. But wasn't some there? Them, um, wasn't there like a real disparity between the heights as well? Though there was like yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I forgot about that. Yeah, some some kind of look like children, or you know, the size of children, and then adults. Which kind of, if that's correct, kind of doesn't fit into the soldier theory or or even the hunter theory. Uh, yeah, you're very correct about that. Um, so I, I love this story. I, I find it a very typical humanoid story of Sweden in the 70s. It has everything. It has nature. It has, has the, the whole environment. And it already, when I read it from the start, when they were identified as aliens, I felt more that this kind of feels more like, you know, some kind of forest spirits or something, something more from folklore. Um, uh, but once again, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say after so many years what, what the truth is, you know, what is the, what did he really see? Uh, I still feel that he, he had an experience and once again, it was an experience that affected him deeply. It was something he never forgot. And I also think that's the most important thing about it because it, it, it meant something to him. It, 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 it gave him something that he, he, he carried with him. And I find that way more interesting than, I find the human experience way more interesting than, you know, debunking or, you know, oh, it's a natural explanation of some kind. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a good story. And uh, it's one of those places I would like to go and explore myself to take a look at it. It probably looks quite different now, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> wasn't there a second story as well though that lined up with that one? Or my yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the the Lingonberry Encounter. It's called it's 
it's I find it a bit tricky to 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 um, talk about not because it's controversial or anything like that because it's quite you have to read the original report the original letter because that's I'd say true magic it's of course in Swedish the original text and the version that you can find on the internet is heavily edited it's it's a kind of a different story but in this story a woman goes out in the forest to pick lingonberries and she can't find any lingonberries at all this completely empty there's nothing out there maybe a mushroom or two but nothing and so she's out walking there in the wilderness when she suddenly hears a girl's voice behind him and she she turns back and two girls teenage girls sitting on a log and they're eating some kind of cake of sorts and they say hello to her and uh, she made her excuse that you know she said sorry that she didn't see them and and they say they say something like oh it's it's okay you know we you can walk over us or under us something like kind of an abstract meaning and this is in the middle of nowhere it should be mentioned and she starts talking with them and this girl seems overly adult in in their talk they seemed like they've traveled all over the world uh and she's very perplexed by the situation you know because it's something you don't expect out there and uh, at the end she says that the girl says that okay now we're going to pick some some lingonberries ourselves and she's she says goodbye to them walks a few meters, turns around, and the girls are gone, of course. And then she looks around, and the whole forest is filled with the lingonberries uh, that wasn't there before. Uh, some, some will say that this is kind of weird alien encounter, but of course not. It's not. It's feels, it feels like she met elves or, or gnomes or even trolls, you know, some something from Swedish folklore. Mm. Uh, it's an intriguing story. It's absolutely impossible to find the original letter or original report. I I found the 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 first article that was written about it, and that's basically the only thing I I I, I I've been able to read. And I don't think it will be able to, I will be able to find anything more about it. Uh, but for me, you know, Swedish forests are magical. Mm. This is the best forest in the world. You know, you have s- huge areas of, 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 of green moss and berries and mushrooms, and it's it's like entering a different world. Mm. Uh, I never, yeah, I never get tired of these forests. <laughs> yeah. what, was in, what struck me when I read that story was, um, and I, it, oh, I will find the source, but I couldn't find the source in time. But um, I remember reading, I, can't, I don't think it was in Kiel, it was somewhere where it was a soldier that was in Vietnam and um, he he and his platoon or whatever used to go out into this particular part of the woods and they'd constantly see, they'd hear a bang, which is the first thing. It, it wasn't like an explosion. It wasn't like a, a claymore going off or whatever. It was some kind of, it apparently sounded like something hitting the earth, like a bang kind of thing, mm-hmm. like you said. And then he would see a parade of what originally, the original story, the original account, it was a parade of soldiers, ghostly soldiers walking in front of them. So they'd all, you know, um, they'd, they'd, assuming it was the Viet Cong, they'd sort of stop and wait and they'd see these kind of green looking soldiers walking past and then just... <laughs> And then just melting away into the, you know, into nothingness. Kind of thing. And then, um, and then 
this guy um, tells the story to somebody at, back at camp or whatever and he's like well that's weird because we were in this other part of the jungle heard this giant yeah. bang and we saw and they said and this is the bit where that when i read your article i went oh i've read this before um, <laughs> this guy saw what he said was like what he thought was like an army but they're all different sizes like including yeah. very very short and very tall um wearing like helmets with like their faces covered with uh and i was like oh my god it's the same story when i was reading your thing it was like i need to find the source i've got it it's in my i've got like you probably as well i've got hundreds of books and it's like i can't yeah. remember which book it's in but i remember because it really struck me at the time that story and then when i read your story i was like oh my god it's the same thing it's like but in vietnam goosebumps here my, yeah. My, <laughs> yeah you need to find this i need to read yeah, about it yeah because i mean it's such a it's such a um you know such a big link there and you yeah. know but it was like yeah i couldn't believe that it was i was reading it going i've read this before where have i read this before <laughs> <laughs> it was um yeah so let's talk a little bit about um Vit vitanang oh, i'm gonna screw this up again is it vitangi i'm getting better <laughs> but i think first before we talk about that we should really quickly because although a lot of people would have heard of the other two instances that are kind of similar to this one but we do have a lot of occult-based um, guys here that don't, uh, you know, listeners here that don't necessarily know these stories. But can you talk a little bit about Westall High and the um, aerial school incidents? And because th th these feel very in the same ballpark, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I mean, the, if you want to look further into the aerial aerial school incident, I think it was in '94 or '96. I don't '94. I think it was. Uh, there was a. A couple of hundred school kids who saw uh, uh, basically started to see a UFO or a flying saucer hovering above their school or around the school. It was kind of jumping around and moving oddly. And it landed in a kind of meadow, it's quite a grassy meadow with trees nearby. And from this ship, which looked very much like a classic flying saucer, there was some odd looking humanoids coming out. I, I don't think they saw them actually coming out, but they were standing by, by the craft. And, and these creatures had, you know, big black eyes. Some of the kids, there was like 60 witnesses they know about who saw, saw these beings and the UFOs, but the whole school saw it and some of the adults. Uh, these beings were depending on what child who saw it, uh, it was either uh, had a dark skin complexion, dark complexion, or, or it, uh, more bright complexion, which is interesting because it kind of feels like it has to do with the perception of the kids, you know. Um, and these, these characters were kind of moving in slow motion. And one kid described them as moving in a loop so it was running in slow motion from one part of the field to another and then it was starting over and did the same thing again over and over again which i find extremely intriguing yeah me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah and they, they kind of directly you know they they were scared they they ran to the, the the teachers and they had a chance to draw what they saw and while there's there is of course differences in what they saw it's still also pretty similar you know you have you have the, the 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 basics there with with the with the ship and the and the humanoids it's a, it was a huge sighting it's probably one of the big biggest and best documented sightings ever i'd say 
Uh, and there's a for those who want to know more, there's a great documentary called The Aerial Phenomenon. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it, I I've not seen it yet. No, I saw it. There was a there was a documentary years back about it as well. I think I think on. I think it was BBC did one, and maybe I can't. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it was Panorama, but I think it was some kind of, you know, one-off documentary special about it. I, I just remember we used to. I, I think it was in the nineties, um, sort of late nineties, because mm. we used to back when British television used to be a lot better. We used to have these things called like weird weekends, yeah. where it was almost like a fourteen weekend of television where you'd, they'd have all sorts of weird stuff on. And I remember seen a, a sort of hour-long documentary about it that, around then uh, um no i've heard this aerial phenomenon is going to be excellent though it's going to be a really good film but yes it's, it's good yeah it's, it's i mean the the documentary have a, a bias towards aliens or something supernatural but of course people have tried to debunk this afterwards that the, it was kind of mass hysteria or that they saw a uh, a theater group with dolls which i find ridiculous because i you know that's just a, such a stupid idea yeah. you know uh, um, but it's a good one. I recommend it. Uh, the Westall School uh, event. I I don't have so many details here in my in my head at the moment. But I think it was in, in at the end of the sixties. And once again, there were lots of school kids who saw a UFO uh, hovering and flying and and switching. You know, jumping from 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 uh, place to place up in the sky. And it wasn't just the school kids who saw it. There were like uh, lots of adults, uh, lots of witnesses around this this uh, this part of the school, around this area. Um, I, if I remember it correctly, one of the teachers saw it, and he got threatened afterwards by many black or militaries. Someone, someone told him, "You don't talk about this." or we will spread the story that you're an alcoholic. So he kept quiet for many, many years after. Uh, and uh, both of them are, are I mean, the, the kids who are, of course, now old old men and women still stand by their stories. And I, I, I believe them. I'm sure both of these schools had some kind of experience. Absolutely. I'm sure also that, yeah, kids and even adults can affect each other with with their imagination and they the the talking uh, within groups etc but still what i know there's never been anyone who had have come out and said that oh we made it up or it was just a game or anything everyone kind of stands by their experience uh which is very very cool you know it's yeah. two great cases to dive into definitely yeah and so um so then something happened in sweden that <laughs> that kind of links to the, these two other stories. Yeah. yeah. So can we talk about that now a little bit? Yeah. The, the, the Tangi incident in 1973, there were like a group of kids, maybe between, uh, maybe around 10 kids in total were out ice skating, playing hockey on the river that goes through Vitangi. This is way up north, you know, so it's, and this was uh, during the winter. So everything was ice and it was snow. And they were playing ice hockey there while, while they saw, suddenly they saw a, a bright light kind of come up from behind the mountain, or at least from, you know, on top of the mountain and slowly coming towards them and towards an island out, outside the river. The river, the island was like 50 meters away from them. So they saw it pretty up close. And the, the, the light came closer and closer and the kids, panicked 
you know, that it, this was a huge shock for them, especially, I mean, up there in the early 70s, they never seen anything like it, of course. It's totally unreal, uh, uh, unreal event. Uh, so they ran home to their parents, uh, crying, screaming. And this is not as spectacular as Ariel School or Westall, but uh, we're still talking about a bunch of kids who, I mean, their parents could, you know, testify to investigators that, I mean, the kids were scared. Something was coming at them. Something was, looked like it was landing on this island, uh, a bright light. Uh, and even here, the kids uh, had a chance to, to draw what they saw, what they think they saw, which is some of the oddest UFOs I've, I've ever seen, actually. <laughs> Weird, weird things. But there's also, there is some kind of abstract similarity between some of them. There is, they look very weird. They look very different. But there, there is something with them that you can kind of sense that this is the same breed of UFO. One least. of them almost looks a little bit demonic, doesn't it? It looks like a kind yes. of, yeah, it's a... They're, yeah they're very strange maybe I'll, in the edit for this i'll flash up some of the pictures on the screen but yeah, uh, yeah but it, you, you get kind of a collect there's like a classic almost looking ufo shape isn't there where you have the, the saucer with the bubble on the top and then and, oh, then, but yeah, yeah, yeah. and then some of them are just like light sources and then some of them are like what looks like a strange i don't know what it is it's it's a strange thing okay. yeah some, some kind of Pokemon, some kind of yeah. creature, basically, <laughs> yeah. like, kind of with legs, and you know, it's. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's better to take a, you know, to show them, you know. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, I think what's stuff. fascinating about these, all these cases, is it really shows that it kind of almost highlights human perspective, doesn't it? It kind of like how we all perceive things different, slightly differently. And that, I think that in itself is a really interesting exercise almost, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing of note, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, uh, that's another thing I'm very fascinated by, the, the different perception, the different experiences uh, people have during the same event. There's one... One example in Sweden, which is more humorous, is I think it's from the 90s. Uh, I haven't written about it anywhere, but it was two policemen uh, up in Jämtland, I think, which is also north of Sweden, and they were out driving in their, in their um, police car, and they saw a, a bright light, of course, in front of them. And they both uh, contacted the, the local investigators, UFO Sverige, etc., and they... they, they gave interviews about this to the invest investigators. One of them said that, oh yeah, we saw a UFO. This was, or it was a flying saucer. It was a sphere. He could see a creature inside kind of controlling it. He could see the alien inside it. Uh, you know, very vividly he described this. And the other policeman said, no, it just looked like Venus, basically, you know, bright planet, you know. And they were sitting, I mean, directly beside each other at the car, uh, looking at, at this one. Um, th there is a UFO flap from the 70s in Sweden where, where one man uh, made a lot of people believe that they saw something else. They were actually looking at, and this is, this is proven, they were actually looking at Venus, the planet. And, but he was so good with 
with talking and, and explaining what they saw. So he started to add details, I don't know, from his own imagination, or maybe he saw something. So he described this, the Venus as a cigar-shaped ship and with windows and everything like that. And everyone around him, there were a group, started to believe him. They saw the same thing as him. But after careful investigation by Klaus Swan, they could trace down the whole story to one person that was one man who claimed to have seen this. Everyone else referred to him. It's kind of like uh, he gaslit them then, almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's, but it's interesting. I'm not saying, if, I'm afraid I always sound like a debunker, but I, I kind of like these these cases anyway. I yeah, think yeah. it's sometimes more fascinating than the real stuff, you know. I often wonder if some certain people were kind of, you know, people that have had more exposure to high weirdness or high strangeness, maybe they can see something a bit more than that someone yeah. that hasn't been, you know, almost like they've been conditioned through, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they're a bit more open to see what's, so maybe the two people that, the two policemen that witnessed the yeah. the craft, maybe one of them was just somehow more open to what he was seeing and saw more than the guy next to him or, you know, something yeah, like yeah. that. It could be, I find that sort of thing fascinating. It's a, yeah, it's a really interesting. It is, it is. So it's, an, and once again, I, 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 I never want to take away the experience from people. Yeah. If they had the experience, it, they had the experience. Mm -hmm. Then if it was something else than something physical in front of them or something else, I still find, I still think it's important. I still think it's, it's powerful somehow. Mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So talking of powerful experiences, this is a good segue. <laughs> um, yeah, I just ruined it. But anyway, but yeah, um, you, um, uh, experimented with past past life regressions. Um, yeah, that's something that comes up in the occult world a lot. I mean, Crowley, for example, considers it a vital part of the magical system kind of thing. But so, what was it that mm -hmm. kind of um, that kind of drew you to it? Well, I actually through work. I mean, this was part of research for a project that we maybe was going to do uh, about the subject. So I wanted to try it out. So I went to, um, uh, what's his name now? It's a very famous post-life regression uh, uh, hypnotist uh, or a therapist here in Sweden and even the world. And I had a session with him. And I've always been skeptical to the idea of past lives not always but you know this like mm, you're gonna get hypnotized you're gonna you know is, is this will this just trigger my imagination and i will start creating stuff myself uh, but i decided to go into the experience with a very open mind and just relax and just you know go go with the flow just do it so he this is the first and only time i got hypnotized and uh I remember thinking, first of all, that I, I don't feel hypnotized. You know, I'm, I'm, I felt relaxed. I felt chill. I was listening probably to some dolphin song, whale song in the background <laughs> or something like that. Uh, and after he counted down, he said, uh, look above you, still with closed eyes, of course, you know. Uh, and he asked me, what do you see? And I said, I, I, I actually saw a, a, a starry sky, a night sky up there with, with bright shining stars. And he said, look, look down at your feet. What do you see? And I did that too. And I saw that I had no shoes on. I was uh, barefoot. Uh, 
And he said, look, look in front of you. And I saw a trail through a jungle during nighttime. Uh, so he, he started to continue walk, walk here. Uh, so that was kind of the start of it. And he asked me to go back further in this, in that life. I came to go back further in that life to when I was a child. Uh, and I found myself as a little boy sitting outside a burning city, obviously somewhere in the, you know, Southeast Asia somewhere. And, um, uh, uh, and I heard people screaming uh, I think it was, I don't remember now if it was my mother or father who ran back into the city and never came back. And I could feel that someone was grab, grabbing me and put me in some kind of horse and carriage and drove away. Um, and then he asked me to go to the moment of your death in this, in this, in this life. Uh, and I, I was there. I lived uh, like an old man in some village, quite simple village, very happy. Um, I, I was very old. I was dying. I had family around them, around me. Uh, and he said, okay, let go now. Uh, go into your death experience. Do your dying. And I did that. And suddenly I was in this big void. It's like a big black void, I guess you can call it, you know, space or whatever. And everywhere there was this huge net. It was a big net and in every net it was a knot in the middle and every knot was a new life, I realized there and then. So I, I aimed for one of those knots and I, the last thing I remember was that I saw London, a foggy London, you know, in the, you know, 100, 200 years ago, something like that. I recognized the... Th the What's the river? The uh, Thames. Thames. The Thames, yeah. Uh, and then I woke up. Uh, that, was, that was an important experience for me to, to, to have done this. I still don't know really what to believe uh, because I, I still carry within me that maybe it was just my imagination doing this or... Could it, could it be something else? I'm not sure until this day, but I, I, I know it made me realize stuff about myself. It made me realize, because at least during those years in my younger, I had a, a fear of being abandoned, you know, in, in relationships and friends and stuff like that. And that kind of felt like a, a very similar to being abandoned uh, as a child in this story. Um, so that was very important to see and feel. Uh, and I actually managed to, the information, because he asked me sometime, what year do you think this is? And, you know, what country is this? And I managed through years, uh, trace this whole story back to the, I don't know, Middle Ages somewhere, I don't remember the year now, uh, where there was a war, there was a big city burning, there was, it kind of, kind of fit in. It could be me looking for, for, something similar but it kind of felt that there was something with this this experience this past life have you ever tried this um i've tried it through different means um but not had a great deal of uh, success i tried crody's method which was his method is just he's it's almost like just just do it <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay right so i've tried it but no i've not had, I've, I've actually thought about doing the route you um and one thing I, I loved in your article, you, you draw a comparison to Indra's net, which I thought was kind of, yes. yeah. Could yeah. you t talk a bit about Indra's net? Because that's, I think that, that works really well in this um, 
scenario that yeah. you write about. It's... Yeah, I will. I will try to talk about it. Uh, this was something I realized many years later uh, when I was reading about Indrasnet, and uh, the, which I correct me if I'm wrong. It's from Hindu mythology, um, and it's some kind of uh, view on reality and multiverses, and 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 this. Uh, it's like. In the net, you have like pearls or, or glass pearls, and they're mirrored into each other, and that kind of then reflect itself and shows the in, in the infinite uh, infinite um, choices of lives. I don't know how to describe it now. Um, uh, and I, I felt when I was reading about it how ex- extremely similar it felt to what I saw. Several years before I read about it, I, I had no, I had no idea about this, 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 uh, this net from this metal. I had absolutely no idea about it. But when I read about it, I was like, it's, it's, that's basically what I saw. Mm-hmm. It was more, more kind of like ropes and the knots instead of pearls. But it felt like the. It's a, it felt like the same thing, just from from my view, from my perception, um, and it kind of that it it made me happy to 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 see this, both reading about the mythology around internet and uh, or uh, and uh, and my own experience because it kind of made me realize in one way, even though if I'm a bit skeptical that there is something more to explore, you know, after death yeah. uh, or in the moment of death. Uh, it's it kind of, it helped me deal a lot with, with those thoughts, you know. Yes. <laughs> What's interesting is um, I've been reading a lot recently because I've been doing this thing called the gateway process, which is um, like a, uh, I guess like a more scientific, quote unquote, um way of astral projection invented by a guy called robert monroe and it still exists to this day the monroe institute you know it's a you can you do the gateway process they do courses they do all sorts of things but in one of the interviews i read with him he described something really similar as well where his thing was moving between these kind of he, he said that oh, it's kind of hard to explain he kind of he says that he, he there's these different zones that you go into almost and one mm-hmm. of them he says it feels like he said and it's he said in one of his explorations that he was in this giant net <laughs> and i was like again reading one of your things i'm thinking hang on i've just read this <laughs> i've just heard this from someone yeah so it's kind of like yeah it, he said it's like a sort of wet like a net web kind of thing um with with infinite possibilities and and i was like oh hang on a minute <laughs> like, once again but so really? yeah it's the yeah, same so that's really fascinating. goosebumps here now uh it's, yeah <laughs> it's kind of, it's interesting yeah I, I yeah i'm kind of the more i the gateway what i can say is because i've been doing it for a few months now is that this gateway process at least as far as i've got works which is a great mm-hmm. thing so it's really interesting to kind of um I'm sort of interested in this idea of kind of what I call municipal magic now, where when you have sort of government agencies or scientific agencies looking at kind of occult subjects, mm-hmm. it, it kind of has this weird, I don't know what it is. It, it almost feels a bit like Cronenberg-esque or something <laughs> where you have these kind of like, um, yeah, it's got this kind of investigation of the occult by like an official body kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, it's kind of, it's, 
it's fascinating there, but it was it, it was just a complete coincidence that I um, I'd been studying because we we're making a video about Munro, mm -hmm. and I, I, I have this interview. There's an interview I've got. I'll dig it out for you somewhere. But um, he mm. literally talks about this net-like area he went into where there's all these infinite possibilities. And I thought, hang on a minute, that sounds just like yeah. Well, thing. I mean, <laughs> really, I had no idea about that. The thing is, I'm of course I'm aware of Robin Munro, but I never read him. I, I never. I just, you know, listened to some podcasts on time and, uh, you know, I've, I've been curious about the whole hemisync thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's a fascinating guy. He's one of these guys that um, whenever he does an interview, he always start, he, he almost like qualifies it at the start by saying, well, I'm not interested in any of this occult paranormal nonsense. <laughs> but by the end of the interview, he's talking like an occultist. It's really, it's, it's really interesting. So he starts off being very technical and very, and then the more he talks about the experiences, the more he's talking about astral projection, basically. And he's talking mm -hmm. about kind of um, these really quite deep occult topics at times. And you're like, really? well, hang on, yeah. mate, you started the interview. It's almost like he's embarrassed by what he's discovered in some ways. Like it's it's sort of fascinating. But that's what I'm saying about the it's yeah, interesting. It's interesting because, uh, of course, this is a synchronicity of some sorts. Because I don't know any, I don't own any Monroe books. But this Saturday, I think it was in the morning, I felt, hmm, I should order a Robert Monroe book. So I, I, I found on the, the uh, Swedish site, I found an, a not corrected uh, uh, copy of his second book with a letter from the publisher to the Swedish publisher because it, they sent it to be translated. Uh, uh, so I'm waiting for that now because I've, I've heard and recommended that I, sh I should start with the second book. I know yeah, that the second. first book is more, you know, the, how he first came, you know, explore this the first time, but I heard second book is a good way to start. Uh, yeah, the second book's a bit more, um, it's a bit more far out, as they'd say, you know, oh, but it's, okay. it's like but that. it's, yeah, but it's just, that's the good, that's the, that's the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> With Munro, sort of thing. Well, now, you know, now, I'm even more stoked to read it now after hearing you talk about it, so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fascinating, it's fascinating, it's kind of underrated, it's only because recently, there were some files declassified, weren't there, by the uh, CIA, where they had admitted to uh, sort of looking at investigating into Monroe's system, and mm -hmm. that that again fascinating. I find you know these yeah. kind of municipal government agencies kind of looking into things like this. I find it really fascinating for some reason. You you it's probably like, know more about this than me, but I heard a story. Someone mentioned this on a podcast somewhere and it was a woman who who did the went to the monroe institute and she got hooked up to and she came to this space this place basically and she was walking around there checking you know chilling i guess minding her own business and she was looking up in the sky whatever sky it was there and up in the sky there was a big sign saying like "Fuck you steve Something like that, not maybe not exactly like that, but something quite rude and very uh, all over the sky. And she came back to our reality and she asked the, the, the people there, like, yeah, it was nice, it's interesting, but there was this big sign saying, fuck you, Steve, what was that? And they said, oh, yeah, it's there. It's a, it's a former client who put it there because he was so angry at some doctor. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Interestingly, there's um when it, when it when it comes to like astral realms and stuff. Apparently, I don't know because I was never a member in in the AA. I think it is, which is Crowley's kind of Crowley had two, well has two magical 
orders. One's the OTO and the other one's the AA. The AA being more of a teaching master student, master student, a bit like the Golden Dawn. But apparently one of the um, tests they do or one of the part of the initiation is one of the, the master or the teacher will leave going to the astral realm and leave like an object or a symbol or uh, something like that. And wow. then the student has to then go in and find this symbol. It's like almost like proving the astral realm oh, or like create, creating oh, a connection. So it sounds sort of similar to that as well, doesn't it? Where it's like someone's left some kind of article yeah, yeah. there or object there. And well, I've, I've not heard that, that fuck you, Steve thing. That sounds really <laughs> <nice to laughs> I, I, I might not, you know, telling it correctly, but it was something like that. This was pretty rude and it was up in the sky in there. So yeah. this kind of reminds me of, I, I was reading about uh, Terence McKenna's and Dennis McKenna's trip there in, I don't remember where it was, Peru or some other South American country where uh, uh, Dennis manifested a silver key from his hand during one of their trips. Well, they were tripping constantly, I guess, but the key appeared, he just let go and it was there. And that key was a very important key from their childhood, a key who went into some secret uh, compartment of, 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 of some kind of desk or something like that. I, I don't know if you heard about it, but it's, no, it's no. wild, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, absolutely stunning, you know, even Dennis, he says that, yeah, you know, turns exaggerate a little bit, but this, he never denied the, the silver key part, at least. Uh, yeah. I recommend to re read about that because that's yeah. uh, cool stuff. It's like people are leaving psychic artifacts in the astral yeah. realm or something, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that's, a, yes. that's a sentence I never thought I'd say. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, let's go, before I let you go, let's talk a bit about your book. I haven't, you know, full disclosure, I haven't read it yet, but if it's anything like mm -hmm. the Medium articles, I think I know I'm going to enjoy it. But can you tell us a yeah. little bit about what we can expect in the book? Yeah, absolutely. Like like I said, the, the book is called uh, Northern Lights, High Strangeness in Sweden, which says pretty much there's weird lights and there's high strangeness in Sweden. <laughs> and I, 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 I realized, much like my Medium account, that there's not much written in English about these weird cases. So I just decided it actually started with a Medium article uh, article uh, about the Valentuna UFO flap in 1974, and it's included in the book. Um, so I wrote that, and I was I realized that people liked it, and I also said, oh, this is you know it's not bad. This is quite interesting actually, and I think it was the, during the winter. 2021 and I started I just sat down because I had no work at the time and I just sat down and started to write you know a lot and uh, going to archives and looking in books and old magazines and it kind of transformed into this book where I think it's like 10 chapters with eight main cases uh, I might be wrong there my memory always fails me but kind of one main case per per chapter or the first eight chapters and then in each chapter it's kind of it's like kind of fractals off into a lot of other smaller minor cases but kind of related to what's what's happening in the main one and there's you know ufo flaps there's landings there's humanoids there's weird flying boxes there's uh, you know angry dwarfs uh, you know it's <laughs> time rifts there's there's so many interesting stories so it kind of began like a case file i want to write about this case this happened but then i realized when i started to write that 
you know, I started to weave in my own ideas and, you know, thoughts and, and, and it often connected to Swedish folklore and uh, quite esoteric subjects and consciousness. So it's, it's a, I, I say it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a lot of woo in this UFO book, but it's also have a, it has a, it has a, a steady ground on, on, on interesting observations and cases where I try to get all the facts correct. And, uh, but then, you know, I, I often go off in some weird direction because I, I feel I need to do this. If I, if I, if I'm writing a book, it needs to be my book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. yeah definitely. Uh, the Swedish John Keel in some ways then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to find you online, you've got quite a few, locations people can go to what's the best where, where would you like people to find you yeah i i would say the best one is twitter or x as it's called now but i refuse to call it yeah. x i call it twitter yeah it's weird God knows so on twitter <laughs> on, on twitter I, I, my 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 account name is homo satanis which is actually from from the years i called myself a satanist so <laughs> right. it was kind of so I kind of kept it. It's a nice name, and you can also find that on on Instagram. And with Satanist, I need to say not devil worshipper, just a classic wannabe edge lord guy. You know. Oh, right. but, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's in the past. Forget about it. Um, <laughs> uh, so Twitter and Instagram, Homo Satanis, and um, a medium. Uh, the book. Uh, and the media, I'll link the medium as well in the. Oh yeah, of course, the medium. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the book you can find everywhere. Just mm -hmm. search for the name, and you'll find it. Uh, and I, I love to contact, uh, connect with people. I love hearing stories. I love, I, I, I love that. I think that's you know, I, I'm, I'm not one of those assholes who's not following back. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not an asshole yourself, of course. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. I, Truly enjoy the communication between you know us weirdos out there. Oh yeah, like you. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> We're all weirdos here. <laughs> Excellent. But anyway, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great. I've actually really enjoyed this. I'm going to have to. I'm going to read your book and then I'm going to invite you back on and we can talk about the book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <excellent. laughs> but thank you anyway. Thank you.